things. I want to say, hey, wasn't it great to have the young people uh, doing what they did tonight? Well done. We appreciate it. We honour you and hope that um, you can just continue on this journey with God. And someday when you're you know, uh, writing your own music and got your own TV shows, you can say, you know, it all started at One Heart Church in Port Lincoln. It's not a joke. That was true. And you can send me some money now and then. So our state conference, John Cameron says this, uh, there are two keys to healthy church. And uh, his concept, and I, I've, I guess something I've always uh, believed in as well, is healthy things will grow. So we ought to believe if we're healthy as a church, as a community, then we ought to be seeing things growing. Now, um, that rate can be different to other places, but we ought to be able to measure growth, measurable growth things. So um, he says there's two main keys that we should concentrate on, and I'm going to give them to you right now. The first one is good Sundays. I'll go, go through those in a minute. And the other one is having life groups. So his advice is can everything else you're doing and concentrate on those two things. So he says you don't need a lot of other stuff. If you get these two things right, then you'll see a health developing in your church. So um, these elements are vital to growing healthy churches. So um, for all of you department leaders, all of you who serve in a department, be aware of our goals and know what we're trying to do. Know what we're trying to aim at. So sometimes you can be thinking, well, we're, we're, we're just singing songs and, and you, you're not really connecting the rest of the machine together. And I know I, I spoke, it was probably earlier this year, on the, the connect points of our departments and how they all have to join together to create something uh, that we call church. So there's no, there's no benefit or no reason to have a department that doesn't interconnect, that doesn't inter intertwine with everything else. There's, there's no place for that. There's no place for an independent department or one that doesn't connect in with all the rest. So it's, it's one body but many functions and many parts, but they've all got to have a, a meshing together somewhere. So um, I just want to go over, I'm not going to be very long I don't think tonight, um, but I want to go over Good Sundays. What, what do Good Sundays look like? And I want to also introduce uh, some, some thoughts and ideas for, for life groups or connect groups, whatever. We're going to call them life groups in the church, but uh, I want to give you some ground rules for those that can set us up from today onwards that we start to get that element back in the life of the church. So Good, good Sunday Services. Uh, I think a Good Sunday Service for me is one that flows. Uh, one, one where everything flows together, where it just works. Um, uh, so some of the things that, that we want to see on a, on a good Sunday is uh, the church gets fed and the unchurched feel God. So do you understand that? So a good Sunday, everything flows, the church gets fed spiritually and the unchurched feel God. This Sunday I was introduced to, to a person and uh, they were brought to church by a friend and this, this woman says, oh, look, I haven't been to church for a long, like a long, long time, and it wasn't like this. I, I, she goes, can't remember the last time she ever went to church, um, but long, long time ago. And she says, I couldn't stop crying. And I'm like, that's a win. That's a win, everybody. That's a win, worship team. That's a win, welcome team. That's a win, preacher. So I, I'm thinking, what? So they come in and go, wow, um, I haven't been to church for years. I didn't know what to expect. I wasn't expecting what I got, and I couldn't stop crying. 
I think that that's an amazing testimony of there is the presence of God here. And we need to realize that's what we're going for. That's what we're aiming for. That's what we want to see so that the church gets fed, and hopefully you got fed on Sunday, and the unchurched feel God. So in, in, in that particular uh, element from last Sunday, I could say we, we, we kicked a goal. So that's good. Uh, where am I up to? Um, so anatomy, so that's where Josh gets his bad language from, and an anatomy of a good service. I'm trying to be real, real uh, intellectual here. But the, the elements, how's that? I always try and change a different name, especially if I can't spell it. I'll, I'll just use a different word. <clears throat> but a good service starts, and I'm talking to leaders right now, a good service starts where you park your car. So from the moment you drive to church as a leader, a good service starts, well, hey, am I going to park, you know, I'm just being crazy here, am I going to park in the disabled spot because I can, I was here first, or am I going to park that allows someone else who doesn't know our church so that they get a good park? So, so that, that's the, the first element of a good service is where you park your car. So um, who's already offended? Uh, it's all right, good. So... Uh, another part is worship um, is, is engaging and connecting with people. So worship leaders, I need to talk to you uh, for a moment. Now, don't get um, um, personal about it. These are general things. But uh, uh, you, you worship leaders, you communicate uh, what you want people to do because we've got to, we've got to understand that not everyone is going to be in the room and we've got to expect more and more people coming to the church who are new, haven't been in a church like this before, weren't expecting this, and so it can be strange, it can be foreign, but as a worship leader, I want to encourage you to engage people. And, and you know, you don't do a big explanation about every song, but you, you give prompts and you don't have to sing them. You, you can just say, why don't you right now just raise your hands? Why don't we together just, just clap, you know, the Lord right now? So it's, it's like you don't have to be spooky and go into a, a song about it. You can just, you can just make it natural and... and Tell people what you want them to do next. Is that okay? So, but the worship leader's role is really, 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 really important. And one of the other things that, that I think helps a, a, a service flow, because I've been in this place before, uh, so again, talking to worship leaders, don't just close your eyes and get lost. It's not your time for that. You do that next week. So, so you could be there going, oh, geez, oh, oh, geez, I'm in glory, and, and you're lost, but everyone else has lost her. Because they don't know where you're going. They don't, they don't know where you are. So, so I'd say limit the, the time you close your eyes and be, be searching, the, searching across the room and, and encouraging people and, and, and letting them know um, what, what you want them to do next. And, and uh, you know, I think we do have some crazy ideas. We think if we plan too much and we cut out the Holy Spirit, I think the better we plan, the more the Spirit can move through us. So if I said, well, you know, I, I don't plan my preaching, I just let the Spirit move every single time. You know, you, would, you wouldn't have a thing to follow. You would learn nothing. You, you, you might have one very occasional little thing that, that, that helps, but the rest would, be just, would just be uh, uh, spur-of-the-moment stuff. So if we do that for our preaching, we can do that with our worship leading too. Um, so stay connected with people, worship leaders, um, to what's going on. And, and be asking God, you know, what, what do you want me to do in this service. If you're only thinking about it when you get to church on Sunday, and I know that you don't, um, th that's already, you've missed the boat. So be, be preparing, be planning, be thinking, 
so that uh, when you know that whatever the date is that you're worship leading, start putting in that that time, that that uh, devotion to God, saying, Lord, that's a that's an honor and a privilege for me to be leading the church in worship today and preparing your heart for that for that moment. So um, the, the, you know, practice your part, prepare yourself and and be spiritually focused. So sometimes that, that means you, you need to give extra time to spiritually focus yourself um, for, for worship leading. Um, communion. So our communion speakers, you have enough time to allow the communion to be distributed. So that isn't like you've got 20 minutes. I remember saying to somebody who took way too long once, look, you know, you took 20 minutes. That's way too long in this church. And they'll say, oh, well, I just had to. They haven't been asked to do it again. Because we, we've got to have parameters within our service. I mean, we're not having three, you know, some churches I go to, they have, they have a communion message that goes for half an hour. I went to one church, communion went on and on and on. I was a guest speaker. I'm thinking, I'm already sick of church. I said, I want to go home. When are you going to stop? My biscuit's soggy. Communion speakers, you, you have enough time to allow the communion to be distributed and be clear when you want people to take the communion um, so, that, so that people you know, aren't left in a, well, what should I do with this? You know, so you, you can give direction to that. Now we're going to eat and drink together, those sorts of things. This is really basic stuff, but, but they could be the fundamentals if you're ever asked to do communion just to, to keep in mind. We don't need you to talk for 20 minutes. We don't need you to do 10 minutes. It's, it's five or six minutes is, is all that's required. And uh, just be clear. Uh, if you're thinking, well, how would I do a communion message? Just bring it straight down. So you don't have to bring a new revelation. It's all about remembering Jesus Christ, his sacrifice on the cross, his, his, um, uh, his, his separation of our sins. See, it's so easy. I could do it without even planning. Not true. But again, that comes down to practicing your part and being prepared spiritually. Um, preachers, you've got 30 minutes, give or take. But you know what? We, we, we want to be able to um, uh, keep services moving because we've got to think of the future when we, we're going to be having to pump through two or three services on a Sunday. And so when we're disciplined on those kind of things, then, then we've got to say, well, we can run a service in, in you know, literally these days, about an hour and a half, we can be completely done. And I think that's a good length of time. Uh, we don't have to worry about the next service coming in straight after us, but perhaps we'll get to a day where we 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 forced to do that because of the way things are going and church is growing. Um, so hosts, all those who are hosts, check check the announcements before services, um, even before Sunday. Find out what the what the announcements are. You can contact uh, uh, Kimberly, Pastor Pauline usually know uh, what the announcements are going to be. They're on Alvanto, um, usually by Wednesday. So find out those things and, and do some research. Even come in on a Wednesday night and see who's on the sound desk or on the multimedia and have a little look through and be prepared and, and be organised with, with yourself in those things. So uh, even hosts can uh, do some things there. Uh, if you're on multimedia and sound, you know, again, be at music practice. Uh, develop with the team with where they're going because sometimes a team could be really um, growing in skill and, and uh, a level of, of excellence and then you find that it's all let down because there's someone on the, on the multimedia who, who can't keep up. 
um, we did that at Alliston. It was the most stressful service I've ever been to. I was on multimedia. I'm just like, what? what's the name of the song? What? What's, I don't even know the names of the songs. I don't even know which one's next. I didn't know that I'm putting up any words thinking, well, about every four minutes I got the right words up if I left them there. Um, kids' church. Kids' church leaders and workers, give your best. Give your best to, the, to those young people. Um, uh, welcome team, carry friendliness with you. Carry a friendliness to, to church in the morning. Um, be aware of... Be aware of things like where the empty seats are. So it's, it's not abnormal to be thinking we've got to fill the church up and, and uh, fill up all the gaps so that we can fit the most amount of people in without putting out more chairs. Now I can tell you these days, adults in the service, we, we look at maybe 114 to maybe 120. And I know before church starts, I always count. I, I'm a counter. Any, any meeting I go to, and I can't help it. I don't know where it even comes from. I count chairs. I'm just like, well, how many chairs is in here? How many chairs there? And so I know every Sunday we have between 104 and 110 chairs out every single week, already out. And so if we're getting 114 people, how many chairs does that mean we actually have to put out extra? Four. But we do about five or six rows. So we, we can watch these things and think we, we don't have to do all that work, but we'd be polite, we'd be, we'd be loving, we'd be encouraging, and we'd just say, hey, can we just fill up all these, all these seats that are all empty? So I know it's not always always straightforward and easy, but to the best of our ability. We can say we want to we uh, uh, limit the, the extra um, activity that we have to do as a team by filling up the seat. So as a welcome team, be aware of those sorts of things. Uh, um, be bringing out uh, your best, uh, your best at serving people before, during and after the services because that has a message. That, that really has a message to people how you serve and how, how you, your friendliness can make a huge difference in someone's experience on a Sunday. Um, so that, that's our, just a little bit about our, our services. That's not a whole exhaustive list of how we can improve. But uh, I want us to, to always be aiming to make our Sundays better. Always aiming to make our Sundays better. That's not up to the preacher, not up to who's worship leading. It's up to everybody. And so we want to have our Sundays working really good, uh, even when it comes to the kids' church and signing in and, and involving uh, the, the families and all that kind of stuff. Um, we want to make them as best as we can and we always want to be improving. So work with us on that. The other, the other thing about a, a, a healthy church was, was life groups. Um, and and it, I'm just sort of going over uh, John Cameron's uh, information. But life group success relies upon leaders, the leaders of life groups. So... Um, you have a, a, someone who you know, is casual about it, doesn't really put much effort in, then the life group's not going to be very good. Um, but we need to develop some support mechanisms, some boundaries. Um, but our model of life groups is, is going to develop. And I, I'm looking forward to what we see in the next year because I really uh, sense that we're going to see uh, an increase of life groups developing in the life of the church. I know Annie has been doing life groups really well for, for probably two years and discipling people and uh, doing um, studies together, Bible studies. I know um, Jeff and Sue, uh, Jeff and Josie, sorry, have been doing various things through the um, Prime Movers group. That's a life group program, and we want to see those things increase so people uh, come together. The, the basic foundations of it are found in our Growth Track booklet. Some of the things that we have 
in, in, that, that we had prior to all this was uh, life groups are there to connect new people. I know there was a stage in my leadership where uh, we had connect groups operating and I would say to the connect group leaders, look, there's some new people, can we get them in a group? And they'd all say, all the groups are full. No, they're never full. No, no all the groups are full. No, so basically they're saying, no, we, we've got enough friends, we don't need any new friends. No space, no room in the inn. Send Jesus away. But uh, the, the fundamental primary role that we want for connect groups is, or for life groups is to connect new people in so that when the new person comes to church, they can find a peer group of people that welcome them, that can talk about the Lord together, they can help each other grow in the things of God. So the second thing is for pastoral care because as a church grows, the capacity for your professional pastor to cover everybody's needs is going to get more and more limited. So we need people in the church who can rise into levels of pastoral care and that's not a big spooky hard thing. Again, that's another thing that we found many, many years ago was that we, we got to some leaders and said, look, you know, help us with the pastoral care. And they're saying, oh, well, that's it. We're resigning now. We don't want to do that. We just want to have lunch together on Sunday. That's enough. Well, that's great to do the lunch together on Sunday, but, but pastor each other. So as a leader, we want to have pastoral care as a, a fundamental part of that role. And, and what is pastoral care? Praying for people when you know there's a need. Um, get, getting them help, whatever help they might need at any particular time. Passing on the information of their needs to the church. Tell, tell the, the, the pastors, hey, uh, so-and-so is going through, uh, through some problems, could do with some help right now. That's what pastoral care is. It's called helping others, being aware of other people's needs. Um, and the third thing about uh, life groups is to be relational. It's to build friendships and relationships with people that help you to get better and stronger. The Bible talks about iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. That's a kind of relationship that we want to have where we're honest, where we're real with each other. And, that, um, and being real with each other isn't saying, well, I'm going to tell you what I don't like. That's not being real, that's being rude. But what being real is and being iron sharpens iron, it's just saying, you know what, I'm encouraging you, I feel good when I hang out with you, that kind of stuff. Is that all good for you tonight? So our plan, we want to run within school terms and always make sure that we break the group for uh, school holidays. So we'll just follow a school term so that it's all easy and we know when the teams are off and when the teams are on, um, so it works well. But group leaders, don't become dependent on your group to need you. Because some people might now be going, oh, I'd love to be a group leader, but deep down in your inner being is because is you need somebody to need you. That's a bad foundation. So uh, we don't want leaders who are saying, oh, I've got this little gang of people around me because I really need them and I need, I need them to be dependent on me. No, that's, that's really, really unhealthy. And it's also unhealthy for groups to become dependent on their leaders. So they're both extremes that are unhealthy. But what we want to have is, is a, uh, uh, a combination of support and uh, uh, networking and growing together, and that's what makes a healthy life group work. So hopefully those, those foundations are easy enough for us to, um, to, to work with. So we also want to um, have appropriate start and end times and, and be able to stick to that so that if we say we, we're meeting at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, we, we make sure that we stay true to that. Uh, if we're going to do it at 7 p.m. in the evening, we stay true to that and don't sort of drag things out too long and that sort of stuff. Um, just another thing uh, about uh, this church 
because I see it all the time in other places, is that we don't want to actively build our church by going after people who are settled in other churches. That's not how you build the kingdom of God. That's how you, that's how you bring confusion and destabilize. Uh, other, not only other churches, but other Christians can be really destabilized by that. And uh, we don't want to do that. So I'm going to ask you as leaders, um, uh, you know, if you, if you need to, you know, if you want to see a crowd, then get out to the world that doesn't know Jesus. Um, don't go looking at another church to try and, you know, get them into here. I've heard just recently of a really large church in, in another state and some people have been going to that church meeting people on, on the weekends at their services and, and making friends and saying, hey, come to my life group, come to my life group. And so people assume because they've met them at church that they're, they're legit leaders and then they get, they get these people away somewhere at their home or whatever and say, now we'll tell you all the errors in the church. Now we'll tell you the real good news and, and that this church is in error. That's so rude. That is so wrong. But you know what? I think that is so bad. Oh, you know, I don't know. But, you know, people do that here all the time. People have done that even recently. Meet people here and then say, come with us. And it's like it's wrong. You don't do that. So, so I really discourage that, that you um, uh, go after people from other churches because th- th- there's you know, obviously pastors and leaders in the church who already know them, who are working with them, developing them. And we can sometimes short-circuit and put them back years because we've stopped the process that they were on where, they were, where they've just been. So be aware of that. And look, people come and they transfer from church to church. That always happens for whatever reason. Um, if, if that happens, we welcome people. Maybe we can help them in the next part of their journey. But I'll tell you, I, I'm not impressed by us inviting people from other churches so we can have a, a crowd for an event. So, so when we do an event, it's to build our church and to help us outreach to our friends who don't know Jesus yet. So we don't, we don't go out to the, you know, other churches to go um, you know, recruiting people. So is that okay? Uh, where else am I up to? Um, again, it's not operate to operate. It's not wise to operate clandestine gatherings. That's a pretty big word for me. That means secret gatherings that, that aren't under the banner of the church. It's just really, really unwise. Um, and I know that there have been uh, often times, you know, people saying, "Oh, we're just getting together just as friends." But I can tell you, here's some parameters. If you're just getting together just as friends and, and you're praying together and you're, you've got a leader in the group who's, who's setting the, the direction and all that kind of stuff, that's a Candlestein meeting that, that can be really unhealthy. So I just want to say, if you want to be, be a leader, if you want to have your friends over to pray and spend time reading the word together and things like that, then, then talk to our leaders, talk to the church and do it, do it within the boundaries. These days there's just so many legalities about doing things like that, that, that um, you might as well do it right. You might as well have the benefit of the, of the church backing you up and supporting you so that uh, if there is an issue, then you've got a recourse to leadership, you've got a recourse to, to uh, you know, people who can help you to get through the things rather than what I see happen in some of these kind of gatherings is they come to a point where there might be a, a conflict or a crisis and the only solution, because there's no leadership, is a division. There's a, there's a, there's a break, there's a separation. That's, that's not healthy in the long run. So uh, where are we up to? As a, as a leader, and I believe there's going to be many, many people in our church rising up to take on roles as life group leaders, um, recognize serving as a life group leader 
that you represent One Heart Church, that you represent the vision and the perspective of the church. So it doesn't work well if you're saying, oh, you know, I know Pastor Rob talks about you know, this or that, but, but we don't do that here in this group. Now that's divisive. That, that's not going to end well if you do those sorts of things. But it's a delegated responsibility. And honor, learn to honor the responsibility that God has given you. Um, in life groups, um, we, we're investing together to build God's house. So that's a good little quote. Life groups are investing together to build God's house. And so we want to we be um, developing leaders and we want to be helping leaders. And I think probably early next year we'll be having to roll out by necessity um, getting, gathering leaders together training them how to, to, to do their things, having opportunity where if they have challenges in their group that they can talk to us and uh, get advice and be able to um, mo- uh, navigate their way through any issues and not, not get to a point where it's a breakdown of relationships. So the next one, that, um, so that was what uh, John Cameron says we need and I hope that you can capture tonight the heart of what I'm saying is, is we want to have great Sunday services and we've got to move into a next phase in our church of developing life groups where people can be developed and, and have a, a closer network of relationship with people and friendships. So Joel Cave, the, the, the other speaker, spoke about... Uh, now, he has the fastest growing church in Australia and uh, they operate using just wise principles um, and he identifies three seasons in the life of his church that I think as a leadership group, more importantly, we'll have to be more aware of uh, as we go from this year to you know, the years ahead, the years before us. So um, he talks about momentum season. And he, he says that's between January and April. So he, he's, he explains it as everybody's eager, everybody's... Uh, um, uh, starting the new year with confidence, with it's a fresh, a fresh uh, start, all that kind of stuff. They're eager to start a new year. And so that's when they would introduce and start programs and um, think about new things. So they start with everyone strong and eager, um, not starting things in the middle of winter and then going, oh, you know, only lasted two weeks and everyone stopped coming because it's just a wrong season. He also talks about the building season, which is May to August. And uh, that's where you would do your relationship trainings and the, um, you know, the character of people, the depth of their character is really shown in that uh, middle season of the year. And um, they, he calls that the building. But you're, you're settling things. You're, you're putting the building blocks in place to uh, make your, your church stronger. Uh, then there's the pioneering season, which is September to December, September to December. And that's in, um, when they introduce new new ideas, new thoughts, new, uh, new vision for the future. And so you're starting to prepare for the, for the next year where you're going back to momentum again. So he's, he's not, that's not the only thing that he's built this, you know, his uh, church out of, but there's some of the small keys that, that I never would have thought of before and, and would wonder why we, we tried a, a connect group we started in, in May and it didn't really kick off very well probably just a bad season. And so he's identified those three things. So that was really uh, enlightening for me. But I believe we have a call of God, a call from God that is taking us from where we are um, to much greater. And I hope that you can sense a 
a stirring in your spirit that, that you want to be part of the much greater that God wants us to uh, reach into and reach up to um, in you know, the next few months and years. So as a church, our vision incorporates the goal to be a large church. So uh, hopefully you've heard our vision and, and um, have uh, uh, understood our vision. If you haven't, I'll give it to you now. It's to be a large, relevant church of mature believers who love our community. That's our vision. And that has really you know, uh, captured our whole plan and, uh, I, I guess, purpose as a church. So incorporating that large element, I want to talk on that tonight, and I'm going to preach now. There are, there are a few practical things we need to become that, to become a large church. So um, people need Jesus, and this is why we need to be a large, we need to think as a large church, because people need Jesus. And, and if people need Jesus, then they need to go to a church. And there's a whole lot of people who don't know Jesus in Port Lincoln who could know Jesus and should be in our church. So, so people need Jesus, then Port Lincoln needs Jesus, and a large church that represents the good news well is needed for people to know Jesus. So we want to represent Jesus well. We want to, we want to um, be the church that people can bring people to. You know, one of the, I tell you, I've said this a lot, but one of the, the most um, disappointing seasons of my life was when we did our very first church health audit, um, and I had Nick Ressie come in 2011, and we'd been here uh, about 15 or 16 months, Pauline and myself, and, and I thought, well, we're going pretty good, every, every, everything seems to be going okay, and nearly every person, one of the questions that Nick asked was, would you bring your friends to this church? And almost everybody said no. And I was like, what am I doing here? If, if, if church people don't even want to bring their friends, then what are we doing? And, and that was a real a harsh wake-up call for me. But I hope and pray that, that you know, 98% of our church would always say, I would bring people to church. I know it's a safe place. I know it's a good place. I know they're going to hear a challenging message. I know that they, they're going to sense the presence of God at least. So um, I, I really hope that that's the case for, for our future. But when we use that word large, I just want to um, change gears now, and I'm going I'm to preach a message, but um, large doesn't always mean healthy. You can see the change in my tone. I go from, from teacher to preacher. <clears throat> but large doesn't always mean healthy. So we want large with strength and with health. So we, we, we all know what large and unhealthy looks like. So there's some stories in the Bible. Eli was a priest. Um, he was large, but he was not healthy. He was large, but not healthy. That was a picture of him uh, giving counsel to a lady. <clears throat> so he died falling off a chair, blind and overweight. Do you imagine that? You know, you think, hey, go, go into heaven, say, I died in battle. I died in a prayer meeting. I died, you know, skydiving. Did, done something great, I died falling off a chair because I was so fat, I was so big, I was so large and unhealthy that I just fell off a chair and it killed me. But we're just going to look at him for, for, for a little bit because he represents church that, that doesn't honour God. Can that happen? He represents a church that doesn't honour God. So um, he, he was overweight and he was a priest we also, I think, where's the scripture? Um, I've got it here. Um, 
1 Samuel 4. If you look at 1 Samuel 4, you'll learn all about Eli. But he was a priest for 40 years. That's a fair stint. That's a fair ministry call. 40 years. Um, that He has longevity in ministry. So you, you think, well, there's some good points here. He's, he's got longevity in ministry. He's faithful, but he's not fruitful. So he, he's been in this thing 40 years. He's been faithful. He's been in the tabernacle. That's where he served. And he's serving God, doing the sacrifices, um, helping people uh, minister you know, to people, all that sort of stuff. However, he's, he's been there so long, but he's got no fruit. He's fruitless in that. Um, there's sexual immorality um, of his sons. They're in ministry as well, but he never deals with that. He knows about it, but doesn't deal with it. Um, it, it talks about the Ark of the Covenant. Um, it was treated like a good luck charm. And, and it was never meant to be like that. So they had the Ark of the Covenant, the most, the, the most anointed, precious um, artifact of God's presence among the people of Israel that he had to um, uh, look after. And he sends it out to, with the army for a war. It was never meant for that. It was never meant for that purpose. But they're using the presence of God as some kind of a good luck charm. And so um, they, they end up, the, 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 the Ark gets captured by the enemies. Um, so the first time we hear about Eli, you know the story of, of, of Samuel when he's in the, ta- in the tabernacle, his mum leaves him there as a little boy, and, and eventually God speaks to him and says, Samuel, Samuel, and, and it's Eli, the priest, and he thinks Eli's calling him. But at that stage, way back when we fa- first start hearing about Eli, it says he was nearly blind. That talks about a church that ha- doesn't have much vision doesn't have much focus, doesn't have much reason, doesn't have much purpose, doesn't have the foggiest really of what they ought to be doing. And as believers, that's not just the, the purpose of, the, of your leadership and your pastors, but it's the purpose of the whole church to, to get a grasp of the call and the purpose and the vision perspective from God. You need it for your life and we need it in the church. So we need what God's showing you, we need that in the church. So um, what else do we, we find out about him? Um, Enter stage right, he's nearly blind. Come to the end of his life, enter stage left, he is blind. It signifies his lack of godly perspective and purpose. Um, he struggled to see and ended up unable to see at all. So what do you see and what do you understand spiritually? What do you struggle to see today? I want to encourage you to go on a journey with the things of God. Go on a walk with Jesus and start to discover and develop your spiritual maturity about things. Start asking God to show you vision and perspective for your own life. And when you start to discover that God's dealing and stirring in your life, then you can actually help others to to stir their faith and stir their walk with God. So what do you see? Because if, you, if you're only say, staying at that place like an Eli who, who struggled to see, you find yourself, you could be blind one day and not see anything at all anymore. So seek to clarify what you can't see or risk seeing nothing at all. Another person that I want to talk about. So here, Eli's a, a description. You, you can be large but not healthy. So we want to put in the fabric of our church to be large, strong and healthy because when we're that we're going to just grow he says i'm thirsty and he's basically having a uh, having a discussion with god he says i've done this by my strength because i'm so good i'm so strong i'm so mighty and now it's all about me still i'm thirsty 
So no recognition from Samson to God. According to him, it was all by his own strength. All by himself, he killed a thousand men. But we know that the Spirit of God was coming upon him and he never recognized that. He never honored God for that. So Samson dies blind in a final act of vengeance. So he, he, he uh, loses his sight. He, he gets his eyes gouged out by the enemy and all this kind of stuff. It's sad stuff. But um, he judges, he, he was a judge of Israel for 20 years. For 20 years, that's a fair, fair crack of leadership. And what I find in that, he, he never forms an army. He never forms a government. He's the ultimate, I'll do it all by myself. And I want to challenge you, if you're, if you're working in a department, especially if you're a department leader, don't be a Samson who says, well, I can do it myself and I'll just do it all by myself. Because you might be there 20 years and think you've been faithful, but you could turn around and think, but it hasn't been fruitful. So how do you measure fruitfulness? You might think, well, I've been, I'll just pick on kids' church. You might think, but I've been a faithful kids' church leader for, for 20 years, just like Samuel, uh, Samson was, 20 years serving these kids, 20 years in this, in this role. But, you know, if you haven't trained anybody else, that you haven't brought others up behind you, then you were fruitless. Because it's not about just what you can swing. It's not about just how many Philistines you can kill. It's about releasing and empowering others coming alongside you and behind you and letting them be the ones doing great exploits too. So his life is like a church that, that, that is big and bold, audacious in all manner of great things, but corrupt morally and wrapped in their own achievement. We don't want to be a church known for that. I don't want to be known for churches wrapped in our own achievement where people say, oh, well, you, you think you're better than all the rest of us. You know something? You need to realize from me, we don't have a greater revelation than the church next door. We don't have a, a, a greater ability than anybody else. We want to stay humble. We want to stay focused on the course that God has given us to do. Reach out to the lost. Help the hurting and the broken and the lost and, and see them come to know Christ. And we celebrate and work with the other churches in this town. Now, I've just recently had coffee with the, the new pastor from the Anglican church or the priest, um, and, and, and I'm building a friendship with him because I'm not in competition with any other church or any other leader. I, I see that they've got, they've got their role to play and we have our role to play, but what I want to see at the end of my term, whether that's 10 years, 20 years, or five years from now, I, I don't know, but I want to be able to say, well, I, I saw other leaders do what I could do, and, and a lot of times they do it better and that's the whole, that's the win, that's the fruit that we want to see. Um, we, we are to be a large church. It's a large, God-honoring, clear, visionary place where Jesus gets the glory. So we always want to be bringing the glory back. I don't want to be saying, hey, well, we're so good because I did it in my wisdom. We're so good because I did it with, with, with my knowledge. I did it with my strength. I did it with my smarts. We don't want to be that kind of a people. We want to be a large church because it's a large God-honoring, clear, visionary place where Jesus gets the glory for all our wins. And that's going to bring honor to God's name. So I want to end tonight with something really important to us as a church. And God entrusts us with the responsibility in both our personal journey and our journey as a church because he wants us to be faithful to be fruitful. I wrote a book many years ago about faithfulness. Um, it's the only book I've ever written. It was my first book. If you want copies, I've still got about 400. That's not a joke. 
But I, I, I wrote that, and I, I still believe there's, there's, there's great keys in our life when we discover the, the power of faithfulness. Discover the power of just turning up. Sometimes you can get much more done as a Christian if you just learn to turn up. Just be at church. Why should I be at church? Because you're needed. Because you can make the difference in, in, in the crowd to somebody. Just turn up. Just be there. Just be available. Um, and, and, you know, you, it's not good enough just to say, well, I, I go to church. You are the church. You've got to be saying, well, what, what's my part? How do I, how do I get into to finding my, my place? Well, you just start doing something. Start doing something and God will use you. So anyway, Genesis chapter 40, verse 9 to 17. I shared this briefly at our uh, a pre-service meeting the other week, the pre-service prayer a couple of weeks ago. But it's a story of Joseph when he interprets the dreams. He's in prison and the, there's two other people in prison with him. Uh, there's probably lots of other people, but, but they have dreams and, and, and um, Joseph interprets the dreams. The dream number one, I'll read it out to you. It's uh, uh, Genesis chapter 40, starting at verse 9. It says, The chief cupbearer, which I will say is, is the winemaker. They're called a cupbearer here, but I'll show you that he was actually uh, the winemaker for the king. It says, The chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. First in my dream, he said, I saw a great vine in front of me. The vine had three branches that began to bud and blossom, and soon it produced clusters of ripe grapes. I was holding Pharaoh's wine cup in my hand, so I took a cluster of grapes and squeezed the juice into the cup. Then I placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. So you can see he's, he's not just you know, giving the, the Pharaoh his, a cup. He's actually making the wine. So, um, and this is what the dream... So then Joseph interprets and says, this is what the dream means. The three branches represent three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift you up and restore you to your position as his chief cupbearer. Now, dream number two. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given the, uh, the first dream such a positive interpretation, he said to Joseph, I had a dream too. In my dream, there were three baskets of white pastries stacked on my head. The top basket contained all kinds of pastries for Pharaoh, but the birds came and ate them from the basket on my head. This is what the dream means, Joseph told him. The three baskets also represent three days. Three days from now, Pharaoh will lift you up and impale your body on a pole and then birds will come and peck away at your flesh. Thanks for the interpretation. So the winemaker has three branches of grapes that he squeezed into Pharaoh's cup. Now, I want you to consider this. He would have had no grapes to squeeze if he had let the birds eat the grapes. So vineyards 